Hi, everyone. Thank you very much for joining this episode of Engineers. Um, today, I'm really excited to say we're, we're joined by Luis Moreira Matias, um, Senior Director of AI, that's CENAI, who is the AI Institute for Sender, the number one digital freight forwarding company in Europe. Today, we're going to be talking about a range of topics, including more about CENAI, the applications within Sender, and how to build exceptional machine learning teams. Firstly, Luis, thank you very much for joining Engineers today. It's a, it's a privilege to welcome you um, and to share with our community more about Sender and how you're revolutionizing the world of logistics and freight forwarding. So let's kick things off firstly with an introduction to you, your background, your journey, and maybe we can go into a bit more around the remit of your team as well within Sender. Yeah, sure. First of all, thank you, Floyd, for a very kind invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, for me, so my journey started like roughly like 20 years ago as a software engineer, okay, um, then shifted in the world of data, did the PhD on machine learning, really like integrated the lab that's doing like novel algorithms for, for, for machine learning and AI in general. Back in the time that that was not so cool, so it was exotic choice, but, but even back then there were some like uh, industry stakeholders that were funding my PhD already linked to transport. So I would say that even from uh, early stages uh, on my career, that there was this uh, passion, let's say this way, this, this this curiosity about transport. Okay, throughout my my career, I've been doing also some adventures in finance, some adventures in retail, but the main focus is on changing the world we live with machine learning. This is really what what makes me wake up from the bed every day and come to work. Um, and then about about Sender, what what makes but a few words on why Sender and why why I decided to join Sender. So what I've observed is, is that like there are a huge fragmented market, especially in Europe, on logistics. There are roughly like half million trucking companies in Europe. At the top five road freight forwards, okay, the largest player, top five, have five percent of the market when combined. Oh, okay, so it's okay. really, 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 really fragmented uh, and really inefficient. Okay, so so even today, like thirty percent of all kilometer driven by all these trucks are empty. Thirty percent, uh, uh, and forty-four percent of the trucks are driving partially empty. So there's really like a huge opportunity to 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 break through on on this industry, and then when it comes to the application of machine learning, what we observed in the last decade was a, a decade of successful applications to B two C companies. Okay, so vertical, including mobility, but also in banking, in in finance, right, in e commerce. So I've been seeing that, and I believe that now it's the time to come to B two B. Now that technology matured up to a point that it's trustworthy for, for, for investors, for major business players to say, let's automate this business, okay? Even if it is a B2B one, which is typically much more reliable on personal connections, subjectivity, and on knowing who I'm dealing with, okay? Um, so this, all these factors together made me like since 1.5, so 18 months ago, to join Senator as Senior Director of Artificial Intelligence, and later, a few months later, founding Send AI, uh, which you kindly introduced. Um, and within Sender, 
trying to disrupt uh, road logistics with artificial intelligence. Brilliant. And talk to me briefly around certainly when you joined the team that you inherited, and, and I know that you've been building um, an exceptional team as well since joining, um, and with the inception of Sen AI. Um, Talk to me about the makeup of your team today and, and kind of the growth in the last 18 months in particular and, and how the team is structured. Yeah, absolutely. So this is the V2 iteration of machine learning in Sender. Um, at the time I joined, many people left and a few more left uh, after after my time here. So there was a need to reconstruct this, this organ, this, this, this team from scratch. So currently we are like 16 people in New York split by two teams. Um, mm -hmm. And all of these joined in the last, let's say, 15 months uh, after my after my arrival. So I've been busy times of hiring here, but also busy times of forming this team of, of very talented and uh, with a lot of a lot of expertise uh, in different areas of of, of AI and engineering to, to make this happen. So it's been a beautiful journey. These two teams have a focus on different problems within the company so so it's one of the things that, that i really strive is like keep the team focused uh, very outcome driven uh, and very self-organized in the sense that we set clear objectives that can be measured in terms of business outcomes and then the team self-organized toward exploring solution space toward building what is necessary to make those breakthroughs um which have already despite the their tenure in the company is not so big have already presented some victories for us that we are all very proud of sure that sounds great for sure and i think it would be great to build some context especially on um with sen ai and, and i think that shows a clear intention from sender as an organization to invest in the power of ai and how it can really elevate your business offering but also filter that through to your customer base, right? And I think for, for people who maybe aren't familiar with Sender or even how AI is, is implemented into a freight, uh, into the freight or logistics industry, um, talk to us more about exactly what uh, Sen AI is doing, um, the technology more specifically as much as you can, um, and really how the, the, the problems and the technology that you're working on is, is changing um, and becoming such a crucial part of the digitization of log the, the logistics field as well. Sure, sure, sure. Let's start uh, about about Sender. Okay, so Sender so aims to build a digital platform to, to move millions of shipments uh, across Europe by connecting shippers, okay, which are big companies such as Amazon, such as Coca Cola, such as IKEA, giving example of real customers actually. Not, not um with the fleet um with a fleet of trucks that exist in Europe that currently sits around uh within that work with us around fifty thousand trucks. Um the idea is do it seamlessly, do it at low cost, um do it with high quality uh, of service while also trying to uh, preserve our planet by reducing CO2 emissions. Okay, so this is like the mission. Um, and the idea, the, the, the idea is to how to approach this problem with with uh, digitalization, with automation, uh, and ultimately also machine learning and AI, and to build a suite of software services that can transform the way we price and the way we move this freight um, across Europe uh, in a way 
that it, it's reliable and transparent, okay? Which is this is not the, the standard of the industry even of uh, today. So currently, Sender has, uh, is a unicorn with over 1,000 employees and 11 offices across uh, multiple countries in Europe. Um, and like I said, the AI products in Sender are, are focused on connecting shippers and carriers seamlessly, far, finding the best uh, care uh, to each load at hand with easiness for all industry actors, shop, shipper ops, truck drivers, warehouse managers, dispatchers, brokers. We aim to make the life of all these actors way easier when they work more seamlessly with, with the artificial intelligence products. And now going a little bit on the second part of your question, that more in detail. So, so if we think about how it was 2015 and how it is still today to many of our competitors, it's important to say. Tradi traditional business model, it's a fax. Okay, many times we still have people asking us which are easier our fax number still today, okay, June 2023. Or email from shippers saying, I have a load, I have a cargo to move from A to B. Okay. And these fax and emails are sent to a few brokers, okay, companies like Sender, which then follow up with the dozens of faxes and emails to other brokers to do like second level procurement or directly to carriers, and then this starts an endless chain of communication, carriers and brokers and phones, why those carriers, like, which is highly subjective sometimes, the carriers are sending bids, they don't know how to bid, um, sometimes the bids are completely, have a ma huge margin for us, other times the bids are completely invisible, um, and then eventually, one of these bids is, is selected, sometimes we don't even know why, okay, because such a mess, okay, so that, that, oh, we have here this one, ah, that load is already dispatched, no, okay, so we have this one, just grab this one, let's move forward, okay, so this is how operations actually, like, or on a daily basis happen, and then after the assignment, it's still like when the truck is on the road, that is more phone calls, more emails, more faxes, letters then to get paid, it's endless overhead of useless communication, now I typically try to use, Um, and one of the base focus is on replacing all this chain of different inefficient communication channels, okay, with one place for assignment, which is our marketplace, which is all the info in one place, where carriers don't need to send an email or make endless phone calls to find the next load for their truck or for their, their trucks, or be waiting for a phone uh, uh, call from somebody like that they trust they will call them with a the load. They can log into our marketplace, the uh, problem is the marketplace, we have roughly seven to 10,000 loads available every day. So, so which load they, how they find their next load, okay? So uh, one of the things that we do, so, so it's a recommendation system that guarantees a personalized user experience for our carriers. And when they log in, they see immediately three to 10 loads that are under their interest. Their interest can be routes that their drugs drivers are used to do, pickup points so of loads, loads with pickup points, which are close where their trucks are or where their trucks will be, okay, empty in the future. Um, and then once they find that relevant load, they have a problem of pricing, okay? So, so how to bid a certain load? Or, I mean, how to shrink the time between all these bids versus actually a fan? How we can forget this bidding system? So what we come to is a price, the accept now price that we call, 
Okay, that's a price that we predict will make everybody happy. We'll make the shipper happy, okay, by uh, guaranteeing, okay, this is a market standard for the load. We are not selling it too, too, too expensive. We make the carrier happy because it make them a margin, okay? We know their cost, we predict their cost, we make margin. It'll make us happy because also guarantees or even maximizes our margin. So and by doing this, we also can reduce this time of moving bids forward and backwards from days to none, okay, getting a, a customer experience way better for the shipper that wants to move the load and for the carrier that has their empty trucks and want like uh, have business immediately without being making 10 phone calls to get the next bid. So these are two use cases that we are heavily invested on and actually they are the core of the two teams that I mentioned to you earlier. Okay. No, that makes absolute sense. And I think this is where the when we spoke before around the the work that you're doing within Sen AI, I think it's really interesting because you're tackling, of course, as you described, uh, a problem where you're trying to bring digitalization to an industry that maybe has been um, a bit more, uh, I guess, behind the curve when it comes to automation and making lives easier for both customer, courier, and so on. Um, but then also, I think on the on the point of the pricing, um, that must be a huge obstacle for your team as well to overcome because. I'm curious to know when you predict pricing and you're you're predicting the cost as well. Do you rely fairly heavily on feedback from your customer or courier base on um, the costing and how loads are working when when pricing, or are you kind of basing that data more on industry knowledge that you know based on the routes that are being taken, based on the the types of loads? Um, because I, I guess extracting that data must be quite challenging for your team as well to be able to deliver the most accurate predictions, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so indeed, uh, extracting data, make sure the data is reliable, and make sure that we have this data on the decision moment, the same way that we have one month later. Okay, so the data that we use to train the model is served then the same way. Then, uh, well, is challenging. Okay, I'm not, not, and this I believe one key part of uh, the solution to to serve this. Of course, that then. I mean, when this system, my experience, I've, I've been so also in finance, uh, uh, been building like systems that are very critical to companies' bottom lines. So they are running ML models there. And the good thing about that is that you don't like feedback when things are not going uh, well. So uh, it's very common when we are overpricing a lane to have Slack channels, phone numbers, WhatsApps, everything like screaming at us saying, we have a major <laughs> problem. We are losing fortunately thousands of euros or dozens of thousands, or as happened to me, hundreds of thousands, um, wow, okay. triggering, triggering difficult conversations. So, so feedback from ops happens so often. So internally from the company, I would say this is most common. From customers, we observe that um, on end-to-end -end metrics, so conversion rate, um, intent, and the way we measure that, we observe how how, how customers like interact with our load, and then of of course we then have regular service where we get the data. But by the way they interact, we already know. Okay, we are pricing well. We are not pricing well. This overpriced. Uh, sure. Because from from our experience, and I would say that these. This playing with these factors, how to integrate this, the, how to use this feedback to drive the development cycle, okay, is also a key for uh, 
fast success. Okay, so accelerate your fast success. Sure. Okay. Understood. And and I think this next question will be particularly fruitful, I imagine, for um, the the ML specialists that will be listening um, or watching the podcast today, because I think um, I was keen to delve a bit deeper into some of the, the kind of core challenges that your team face, especially when it comes to that pricing engine, because um, we know that there's so many variables, even in your industry, but this is broad across any industry when it comes to pricing and trying to predict um, to, to predict that model, I guess, um, there are so many variables to factor in, um, be it location, type of load, the, the particular customer, how that interaction is going to work, how that relationship is going to work. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's a huge challenge, I know, for your team when it comes to that pricing engine specifically. Maybe talk to us to some of the technical challenges when it comes to AI machine learning that your team is working on to try and deliver the most accurate kind of pricing engine that, that, that Sender can. Sure, 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 sure. Okay, I'll organize it like in in, in the three factors. And the first factor, so I'll pass through. We talked a little bit about data already in the, the, the last answer. Obviously, data is, is crucial. Um, but then with what we do with that data is also crucial. So I'd like to uh, highlight, many people say data is key, data is key. Okay, you can have a lot of data, but you don't know what to do with it. <laughs> uh, exactly. So many companies say data is key, data is the new oil. Yeah, well, the new oil, you have the oil on the garden, but then if you don't know how to do what to do with the oil, you don't know, <laughs> refine it into petrol to sell it, yeah, nobody will buy oil with the oil. So, um, modeling is very important, and especially since you talked about pricing. So, try to keep keeping the language high level, but still interesting for our ML experts. So, in machine learning, one of the most important things that we need to understand. Models don't speak human language, okay? Models don't speak human language. Even when you think about ChatGPT, that, that doesn't happen. And so even if they, even if these guys that very, 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 very well, so that's actually not uh, what is happening uh, uh, behind the scenes. So it is very key that we create a representation, okay, uh, from the reality, that the models can understand and they can learn from. And this is absolutely key. So when we look to, to deep learning approaches, they have the merit of being able to learn this representation at the same time that learn model. Um, in some applications, you can leverage on that. In some others, for some technical reasons, you cannot. So And that you need to do it more manually and or more empirically to find that, that that representation that how to express it. This is clearly one thing and in pricing, make that the function of time, how to express time passing by, how to express seasonalities of the market, how to express adaptation to change. Okay, some phenomenon happens that affects the prices, such as like the strike of truck drivers in France, for instance, that will affect the whole market the ability that your model has to to, to adapt to that will depend how we represent the reality of the world to them. Second, it's something like sometimes also undervalued. For me, it's very important, specifically in price, is selecting the right loss function. And now loss function is a term uh, very technical. I'll try to put it. So when we think about machine learning, machine learning always tries to optimize towards something. Okay, And that, that optimization can be raw margin. Okay, or can be certain costs, raw margin that we want to maximize, or some costs that we want to minimize. 
So, but then this is end to end what we want to do with machine learning model. But then as a proxy internally, so machine learning as a mathematical optimization function, and there's a certain target function that we call it typically loss function to optimize. Um, and typically these functions, if you go just have some data, apply something out of the box, these functions are symmetric. What this would mean for pricing means that the cost of over-predicting a price by 50 euro is the same that under-predicting a price of 50 euro. Sure. But that's not true okay, for a company. Okay? So over-predicting a, pr a price may mean that you will not sell at all. Okay, so you miss completely the opportunity. If you underpredict the price, you will do the sale but a lower margin. So, uh, okay, so then you can imagine with the difference of cost that we have here. So select the right loss function that mimics very well, like the effect and the cost for your company of bad decisions is also something very key. And this is in model. Then underlying infrastructure. Okay, and in line infrastructure, we have a series of practices on the field that have been emerging the past three, four years, like as a buzzword of MLOps. But actually, like um, here, setting an infrastructure that allows for us to train models, to, to deploy models at ease, to observe the performance of these models, that is not easy. Okay, that at scale, even, okay, with the company, that is not easy. That's something that is important to get right to enable you for uh, for for success. One particular aspect that is very very important is reducing offline and online gap. What this is is like reducing the gap between what you see and what the model sees when it's training and the type of data and how the data is computed there versus what the model sees in operations. Okay. Which is not necessarily, which not necessarily the same, but there is always a gap. The right setup will aim you to reduce that gap. Finally, experimentation: how to do live experimentation and how to drive causality. So in the end, so there are many things that can affect your margin, your conversion, the total volume of sales, and the, your machine learning model is just one of them. But what you want to discover is like what is the effect that change adding a feature to your model change the way your model is training, will have on your bottom line. And for that, you do experimentation. For years, many years, with the emergence of the ML applications on B2C, uh, A-B tests have been the, 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 the default. The problem with A-B tests is they, they assume, they come from a branch of statistics that assume, it's very easy to sample, okay? It's very cheap. So we will have volume of sales very high and we will be able to experiment. Experimentation is cheap, right? So um, which in B2B doesn't happen? Okay, when we think about uh, e-commerce platform that sells, for instance, sh shoes, B2C, average price of a shoe, 50 euros. Average price of a load that the sender sells today, 1,200 to 1,300. Okay. A mistake there is costly. And ever model, so that is performs, let's say, 80%. And they have another model that performs 60%. If we go with an A-B test, we'll be losing money with this model of 60% times and times and times and times and times again for probably for several days until we reach the point that we can conclude the test is sound. So, so this is, is, is really like a challenge. And this is why 
the emergence of a different branch on statistics, which is Bayesian statistics, where we aim to do the same, but with less samples. And the way to do that is by embedding prior knowledge on your uh, on your experiment, like a prior belief. I believe this model, this is a new model, will be better than the other one. So we start already like that, and then we are able also to learn as we experiment where to test the old model, where to test the new model. So the experimentation per se becomes uh, also a learning experience. So and with that, we minimize the amount of mistakes because each mistake is very, very expensive. And we leverage on this prior knowledge that first we have, but then when we start to experiment, we, we are observing, okay, to minimize those costs. So I think this, these three things are actually like the, the big rocks that uh, my teams are trying to move on the next uh, six to eight months. Sure, appreciate that. And that's really interesting. So I guess from what you're saying, it's really about leveraging that historic data that you have. And that's what you're using to train to train your models, right? As opposed to relying so heavily, like you say, on 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 live modeling because the cost is so high. I think, as you say, that because of the cost of the loads, even a small percentage of, of incorrect modeling can be very expensive for for either or maybe both parties, right? So um, that's really interesting, and I imagine I imagine it's really specific to the industry, like you say, whether it be B B to C, B to B. Um, but it's certainly a very fruitful um, food for thought, I think, in terms of how you structure that, and and certainly the infrastructure that supports that as well. Um, and that leads me on nicely to my next question, which was quite simply, how do you set your teams up for success? And and I think. This is a particularly poignant question for you. I think the journey that you've been on in the last 18 months that you described with, with Sender, um, you've kind of restructured and rebuilt the team as it is today. Um, and no doubt there'll be further building on, on that team moving forward as well. So when you think about not just the technical challenges, but the wider organizational and commercial challenges as well that come with the responsibility of, of implementing this technology, what's your method of building your teams in the most effective way, considering those things around, okay, technical capability that we need, but also delivery. Ultimately, we're a, we're a commercial business that needs to deliver in the right way to our customers as well. Tricky question. So I think- <laughs> And I don't think there's a, there's a yeah. straightforward right yeah, answer, no, but it's- <laughs> I, Yeah, that's, that's, catch, me in the, catch me in the curve a little bit with that one. So I, I've been, so I've been in the field already like for, 13 to 15 years now and leading teams and departments the last eight, seven, eight. So um, I've saw many things that do not work. Actually, that, that, that I saw for sure. And by seeing those things that do not work, I've been iterating like which is the ways of working that actually might work. Okay. And I'm still on that process. I, I'm afraid that I still didn't saw a fully <laughs> set up when I say, okay, this is perfect. This is the universal truth. This is how teams work. I understand also different ways of working may work with different organizations in different stages of their lifetime and maturity. Um, but I have uh, some ideas which I saw promising results in, in either in past employers and actually even on, on this one in center. So one of them is I'm a agile enthusiast. Okay, so I believe agility as the answers to many of the challenges that um, we have in front of us and the way i see that is first um, first very simple topic so it's very easy because the problems that we are solving is 
are cons uh, complex that we pursue on data science individually. So one person for one task. Okay. So that is many teams I see that end up pursuing that. And I believe that that enables short-term success, but at long term it's, it's very difficult to maintain. So one thing that um uh, I believe that agility brings on the table that's very crucial to to, to machine learning engineering teams to, to sit up together is like um teams a single unit of work. Okay. So you have scope on the teams and everybody in the team is responsible for that scope. So there is not the person on the team that trains the models and the person on the team that deploys the models, the person on the team that runs the infrastructure. So they, they are all responsible for that scope. Even if inside of the team the skill set is different. Okay, but we still have that ownership. For me this is something that is very, very key. And as, as, as I've been failing, uh, many teams failing because they don't have this type of, of, of setup. Um, second is to reward pair programming. So pair programming doesn't slow teams down. Sometimes we think, okay, two persons for one task, it would be better two persons have a task with two tasks. But what happened after a while is actually these two persons, instead of being able to do two tasks in separate, the same amount of time, they're able to do three tasks together because they are faster. When pairing together, okay. So uh, we have to have the courage to to give that step perhaps backward. That then will enable us to give three or four steps forward in in, in the longer run. Um, then it's important that the team sometimes the outcomes of ML projects are not very clear. Uh, uh, giving this clear, this is the, the needle we need to move to the team, and then getting out of the way, asking them. Now you self-organize. Now you explore the solution space. What we want is this needle to move. It's something absolutely crucial to give them the ownership, to give them the autonomy, and to give them even to bound that autonomy where they need to be. They don't need to be focused on how the company raises money. They need to be focused on how we are hiring. They need to be focused like, like what, what will happen tomorrow. They need to be focused on solving this to move that needle. Okay? And giving that, that focus, but that degree of autonomy will also be have something to celebrate. They will feel recognized, they will feel rewarded and energized to go on the next challenge. So then focus. Okay. So sometimes we see saw teams in the past which have like, okay, what is the scope? Six to, is this 15 problems that we have here? We are searching something to see what happens. Okay. So some some use case to to that is is a is a is a mess. Okay. It's a, it's a recipe for, for ink success because you'll try 50 things, probably you'll not do none because to do one is very challenging. Um, one thing that is important to understand is outside academia, the objective of a machine learning engineering team is not to innovate, but to make, make business impact like every other team. Uh, um, invest enough to identify the right problems and what success looks like for them and then tell the team, this is what we expect. Get out of the way. Okay. Put them on one direction. If you put them on 15, they will <laughs> stay on the same <laughs> And finally, have professional leadership on the team. So, so leadership, it's not a part-time job. Okay, so we cannot have a manager that is also a product owner, that is also like do prioritization, that is also like mentoring the team, that is also tech leader. Then many times, like I saw machine learning teams getting lost because 
of poor leadership because the poor person simply cannot be everywhere at the same time. There are so there are so many questions. Stakeholders don't understand what the team asks, so they are constantly asking for. Uh, they don't understand the team development cycle, so there is a lot of complication to happen there. The problem is the teams are solving is very complex, so the team needs help. So the team also needs these managers to be close to them on day to day basis. So. What I suggest is a matrix organization approach and having two leaders in the team. One is a technical product owner. This technical product owner is somebody that will be focused on day-to-day -day execution, that will focus on prioritization when the team doubts, that will focus managing stakeholders and communication to and from the teams. So stakeholders are happy, are actually happening the teams. If there is a high prior item, they know where to go. And this, as a profession, is something manageable to one person. And then we have the manager, the functional manager, manager to be the technical leader of the team, to be the one that is responsible for hiring, is responsible for coaching, is responsible for mentoring the team members, and also responsible for, for their performance review, uh, and eventually for some employer branding activities. So again, here, betting on this professionalization, betting on giving this person the right time and the right setup for them to flourish and succeed. Okay, so so these are I would say the three things that key things that uh, I try uh, currently in the teams as the my default setups on building machine learning at the moment. At least a, at least a recipe to go towards that that utopian um, perfect setup, right? And I think your your perception on technical product owners is really interesting to me because I think um, obviously hiring in this space as well. I know that it's not it's not not present in every organization and actually to be frank not possible for every organization because i think structure the structure must allow that right um and i think it's circumstances are different between um depending on the company size the team structure and i think so there's so many again variables involved there but i think it's a really good point that you make around not diluting the work that your team is doing and the tasks that they're doing because as soon as you become distracted and you lose focus on actually what your end goal is then of course your day-to-day -day work becomes diluted as well so of course you've touched upon kind of technical product owners there um, but is there anything else that you would add in terms of the benefit of having a technical leader or technical product owner um, especially in terms of what they can deliver to your team compared to traditional what i would call engineering managers where um, these product owners are much more technically focused rather than worrying about the noise outside of the technical tasks, right? Sure. Um, I would say, I mean, uh, you made the, 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 which is a remark, which is um, true, um, but it's a bit, uh, uh, I'll make a response first, uh, reaction to that, a bit provocative. So you say that many companies could not afford them. Um, that's true, but can all the companies afford ML? Is a question mark. Can do we actually need machine learning to address some of the problem that those companies want? Okay, because sometimes if they don't have the money to go and put down and, and invest as such, uh, perhaps that should be an indication that it's too early for us, or sure. the problem is not enough relevant. Because let me tell you one thing, when you are this, having machine learning, deciding autonomously, okay, without like operations like uh, a button where operations say, okay, yes, no to this price, autonomously decide on price of the items you sell, um, managing your stakeholders will be a full-time position. 
So, okay. <laughs> and I'm taking example of pricing. It could be on credit underwriting. Okay. It could be so, so everything that is very close to bottom line. So, um, I should, that's, that is so crucial. Your stakeholders will be so much on you that, that I believe that there is no other way. Um, but, uh, that now answering to the core of your uh, question. So this is the splitting of this is acknowledging that ML is a space so complex that is difficult one person do a single person do the job like well. Okay, so it's this acknowledgement. Uh, um, of course, may have an, may have, may be easy. So if you have the right person, perhaps they will perform. But it's already so hard to find talent on machine learning space. If you go to find exactly the right person for that and ask them the world, probably they will fail, or probably they will like, as I saw in the past, like have a nervous breakdown or or, or, or like not succeed. So I think that separation is like gets the right amount of scope and the right amount of pressure on the person to to have space to breathe and have space to fail. If you have space to fail, you have space to grow. Okay. So that's why I believe this, this, this separation can set. And there are also different skill sets. What can be a person that is a good technical leader may not necessarily be a person that is very good on communication. Okay. And sure. believe me, uh, explaining daily uh, work of a machine learning team to non-technical stakeholders, you need to be very good on communication. Very, very good. And then I come again to find a person that, okay, is good technically, that is good on coaching, is good on communication as well, and hire for your organization. Well, okay, some companies can afford that, but good luck. Okay, it's a journey. It's a hard journey. So um, I believe they throw a bit more money on that may set people to success. It may actually be cheaper because you actually get return from that. Yeah. Okay, so True. it's a bit provocative answer, but uh, it might not. No, it absolutely makes sense. And and I think pivoting on, on your point there, I think around uh, understanding someone's skill set and, and ensuring that translates into the business and really playing on those core strengths that they have. Um, how Talk to me about kind of hiring because you and I both know that hiring, especially in the ML space, is extremely difficult. I think there's lots of noise in the industry these days. I think there's um, sometimes it can be hard to really decipher decipher the kind of the core skill set of someone versus maybe things that they they may have touched upon but not necessarily an expert. Um, and I think as a business as well, I see many businesses struggle sometimes to fully translate actually really what they need in in that one person, like you touched upon then. So. Talk to us. Talk to us about your strategy um, and how you ensure, especially through the growth that your team's gone through, consistent success in the market where supply and demand is quite imbalanced. I think at times, and and is probably um, going through the roof these days as well. Um, and given the niche skill sets that you often need, um, and I'm sure it hasn't been perfect throughout, but what things do you put in place to make sure that I guess one you can be really sure on exactly what you're looking for, so that you're not asking the world. Um, but two, where you're able to set the right expectations with people coming in and, and really, I guess, on one hand, leverage their expertise, but also support them in developing in other areas. Maybe it's communication, for example. Yeah, so I certainly can share with you some of my thoughts on that, that area. But the important thing is to understand is like, there are a series of companies, I would say, like the fine flower of... Um, 
fine flower of technology companies in the world that have such a powerful branding. So I will not say their names, but I think everybody, everybody knows who I'm talking about. That uh, I would believe that just putting an ad out there, they can receive hundreds or thousands of uh, of applications, um, and they can set the rules of the game. They also pay above the market and so on and so forth. That example, okay, especially on how to attract uh, candidates. Let's say that 90% of the companies don't have much to learn there because they simply don't have that brand, and that there is a huge gap between. So then I believe that what is essential is that you have on your income funnel, you are able to attract enough, both in quantity and quality of talent. Okay, this is absolutely is essential, and with that, I believe that having and having this, a setup where there is a clear strategy defined and you are very precise on what you are searching for so will attract candidates i have already many candidates tell me oh i saw your job ad uh, you talk about specific technology you talk about specific ways of working so i empathized with that i saw myself working with that i applied because of that so the job ad make sure that the company is centered on AI, centered on data, as use cases where you'll make an impact on real world, will make an impact on companies' bottom line. You'll be more close to the company's bottom line and you'll be working with uh, state-of-art technology. So, so these are things that these people will look at. Then the second thing is like, okay, don't try to find super uh, superman okay so uh, a superwoman or superhuman <laughs> or a unicorn so uh, like be very specific but no people have strengths and weaknesses and you buy the whole package okay so it's m way easier to form a team that together has no weaknesses than to to hire those those, those two or three uh, unicorns and, and, and accept that you will end up selecting them on the shortcomings Okay, you have the talent, or then you say like, okay, these shortcomings we can address because we have this person, we have that person, we are building this way. In order to build, this is to attract talent, right? But then one thing that I observed is it's very difficult for companies mundane uh, like ourselves um, to make it on a single location. I believe the single location uh, strategy to hire. Um, is is not flexible enough for the current talent market. Um, this is why we as NAI um, are open to hire remotely from seven or eight countries in Europe. Okay, um, whereas that that's how we work day to day basis. Okay, so that degree, not only that degree of flexibility, but having in the enlargement of the hiring funnel that that provokes is then absolutely key for you have like successful hiring processes and hiring the right talent. So I would say, yeah, these these ideas are, are, are my key points. Certainly wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with any of those. I think that's certainly, again, a recipe for success. I think you, you've obviously, the last, at least the last 18 months has given you enough experience to, to know at least how to, how to attack the market in the right way. Um, and I think retention is another big topic, right? But for any, any business that I'm talking to, I think Sometimes retention can actually get overlooked. It's natural when you think about hiring to really focus a lot on investment of attracting the right talent. But then we have 
in many ways an even bigger task after that to to retain this talent and i guess for some companies it's easier depending on those pieces that you mentioned around branding reputation the technological challenges that are there i think they're all really important factors but we're also in a time in ai where it's becoming more and more democratized. I think it's 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 the new hot topic in the world. And I think there's so many technologies that are coming through the woodwork now that are super interesting. I guess my question to you is, what do you have in place and what things do you do to, to kind of work on them retaining that amazing talent that you bring in? Um, I think whether that be technically or culturally, Talk me through that because I think it's like I say, it's a pain point I know for most people to to, to figure how to retain the, the best people. Yeah, absolutely. Um so one one of the core values of our company is succeed as a team. Okay. But we deeply believe that that teamwork and interaction between people is what uh, builds success. And obviously that doesn't I mean doesn't sit very well with the fact that everybody's working remotely, right? So we truly believe that face-to-face interactions are key to build connections, and connections are key to build trust. And only with trust, we can have the candor to build uh, strong um, collaborations. So what we do here is, I believe, treating people like people. So knowing that, yes, you we have this flexibility in terms of place of work, um, where people can work remote, and that, that has a lot of benefit. But we do- then also have regular events, in our case, quarterly events, where we ensure that each team member is able to join with their other team members face-to-face for two free days. Okay? And we do this uh, on different cities uh, where we have our offices bringing everybody together uh, every quarter. I believe this is, this is essential for trust, this is such for, for the engagement of the team, and we really feel it the, the right after the team event, a completely different uh, engagement towards the quarter and objective of the quarter. Uh, second thing, again, like non-technical, um, those things sound very simple. Okay, so sometimes uh, right, say, not but, too uh, common, unfortunately. Not so common, not, not so common, but they are very simple. Yeah. So um, the second thing is to make sure that. And this will sign like engineers have autonomy to do engineering. Okay, what 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 it means? They own the solution space, so, so that I I or other externals will not come to the team. No, no. Now we present. I read about this neural network, so go and test this. This is a thing that cannot happen. Engineers have to have a, a zone of where they are the experts. They take decisions and they take accountability. Okay, and that zone must be quite well demarked for them and for stakeholders or even for managers like myself. Okay, this creates the right amount of accountability and motivation to work on something that will be probably completely new towards moving that needle. And then the satisfaction of knowing that needle moved because of my work. Okay, so that success we celebrated and we recognized gives engagement to the staff. I feel this is uh, again absolutely. And third, um, in terms when I'm thinking about about retention, of course, you can think about reward. Uh, you can think about uh, a culture, a fellow friendly culture. But I would like to 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 highlight uh, as third factor something uh, slightly different. 
it's too something that is cutting edge. Okay. And here by cutting edge doesn't mean that we need to go to use that neural network. It means that if this problem is solved, if there is a solution in the market for it at a reasonable price, don't reinvent the wheel. Just go buy it. If you have a team in place, is this team to do R&D, is to do IP that is very specific for your business. Ideally, ideally you would patent it and this will become very much value of your company. If you do not have a, a business case that where this is so clear, probably is not a use case that where it's worthy to invest again uh, all this money. So cutting edge is important to retain the people to be developing something that is quite new. The problems per se retain the people in the seat because that's what drives them to wake up in the morning. Absolutely. Completely agree. And I think sometimes something I always say as well to to businesses that are seeking advice on retention, I think is transparency is key. I think sometimes there can be a habit of you bring in uh, great talent and they have certain expectations at the time. And then six months, 12 months, 18 months will pass before you know it where have you actually realigned on what that person's ambitions still are today? Because we all know, especially with in the industry that you're in, um, technology is changing so quickly. There's new bright ideas. There's new um, technologies that they might want to learn and explore that maybe the, their current role or they haven't had an opportunity to do so before. And I think that consistent culture of transparency is crucial for at any level because I think if you know that one of your team members is actually their attention is wandering slightly because there's a, a particular um, type of ML or technology they want to start exploring. You as a manager can start to think about, okay, how can we implement some activities that will really kind of pique that interest and satisfy that that want? Because otherwise that could potentially lead to someone getting drawn away, right? And I think they're really, they're really crucial points that you make. And I think, especially when in the world that we are today where remote working is is the norm for most, it's even more of a challenge to keep people engaged when, when maybe they're not seeing you every day in the office and, and so on, which is the culture of before, right? So they are very simple points that you make, but all too very uncommon, as I'm sure you know as well, and, and most people watching this as well will probably feel the same. So I think it's, it's fantastic advice. Um, talk to me about hiring. I know before we wrap up, I'm keen to know from you, I know you've done lots of hiring. I know that you're building an exceptional team that, that you're very proud of. Are you hiring today? What's the plans for this year? Tell our audience, especially for the machine learning enthusiasts and specialists out there, um, what does what does Louis look for and what does Send AI look for in terms of skill sets and, and uh, where they might be based and, and talk us through that? Absolutely. So um, start. Uh, I'll start with with a bummer that currently we are not hiring uh, uh, anymore. But and this is the star of the show. The but, but um, we'll certainly it's certainly something that we will review on latest uh, late Q3 and the beginning of Q4 um, as your expansion plans go over. Type of skill sets. Um, First, very hands-on people, okay, people that know how to code, people that, that know to play the piano, as we, we, we call it, <laughs> um, and that they're able to, they, are, they have the ownership to be end-to-end, -end, even if they don't have, like, uh, the skill set the same on different areas of expertise to do it. This is, like, from psychological point of view, from technical point of view, very important. From a psychological point of view, we have a very peculiar way to organize our teams 
So teamwork, pair programming, people that are egoless. So on like want not wanting their name be associated to a specific model, specific way of work. That that is like also something that um, we see very important uh, as a profile to hire. Um, potentially look people that strong expertise on on infrastructure and infrastructure be MLOps, if not MLOps, skills that are uh, easy to transferable to handle the modern MLOps stack. Okay, this is technology one type of profile. Another profile, more classic machine learning engineer uh, with experience in modeling, supervised learning, so more classical uh, approach, but always with the end-to-end -end focus. And then perhaps something a bit more different, looking to experience with operation research, uh, mixed integral programming, and, and reinforcement learning to solve planning uh, planning challenges. In deep, that is something that we would be probably also looking at uh, in the near future. In terms of where they can join, currently we are hiring from Portugal, from Spain, from Italy, from Germany from Netherlands, from UK, from Ireland, and from Greece. Um, in all of these places uh, remote, some of these places, namely in Berlin and Barcelona, offering also hybrid options for those that want. Um, so all these positions then will include the, the regular face-to-face uh, -face events, um, but which will be remote, let, let's say. 95, and and you've set the expectation for anyone that is listening that may think of applying or reaching out, then um, you've set expectations of some amazing quarterly get-togethers. So yes. don't disappoint. Yes. If, if anyone's watching, I don't hold myself accountable for Louis' uh, <laughs> promises, okay? So um, that's for sure. And I think um, one question I had on in terms of the requirements, because I know that a big part of what you're doing, of course, with the building of your marketplace um, is is experience with kind of search recommendation systems, maybe causality, that type of technology, is that is that particularly? I'm, I mean, I'm assuming it's great stuff to have. But if someone's watching this that hasn't got experience with that type of um, ML, um, should they be put off? Or, or uh, uh, no, not necessarily. I mean, um, not necessarily. So, I, it's indeed there are different types of ML, different types of expertises. So um, we have a process, okay? And in that process, then there is a lot of transferable skill sets, okay? That that are, uh, that somebody that has been working on certain, some type of ML, certain problems can bring to other problems. So I encourage them to apply and to prepare, okay? For, uh, for the, the, the job interviews because uh, I saw cases in the past where not always the the metal that shines brightest is the gold that we end up uh, grabbing. Opportunities are out there, so just fight for them. Okay, uh, we our arms are uh, open wide. Good. I think that's a good way to end. And and I wanted I wanted to to wrap up and saying I think as always um, a huge thank you thank you to you louise for for your time um i think it's been so insightful i think your your vision and your um, perception on leading teams how to build those teams um, and what you're doing with with sen ai and sender is 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 really insightful and, and inspirational as well 
thank you to everyone for listening. I think hopefully you found it as insightful as I have. Um, please do like, share, follow um, if you're not already. I will include a link in uh, below to the career site of of Sender as well, so that you can you can swat up on on what's around and and what to look out for. Um, and I would also, of course, tag Louis' profile as well if you wish to re reach out with any particular questions. But but thanks again for listening, and and Louis, thank you very much for your time. It was a pleasure, Floyd. Thank you so much for inviting you. me, Evie. All the best. Thank you. Hey, guys. Thanks for watching this episode. Uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge, sharing, and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.